And I'm going to be speaking and dealing with conflict. You might have noticed that um, the Bible references, which were in the notice sheet last week, have disappeared. It's because we're not going to consider Joseph, he was that attentive, but we're going to consider other parts from God's Word. Well, dare I say, for, for many people, Christmas can have all the right ingredients. You know, those songs that, that play over the radio can make you feel, feel good. They're great at invoking those fond childhood memories of Christmas's past. They're the songs that sing of peace, goodwill, fun and joy. Their happy and uplifting lyrics gives us a break from the usual diet that we're served up on the radio. There's the opportunity to be with some family. Some of them you might not have seen for a while. Spend time together playing board games and perhaps a bit of charades. For most, we will get time off work, time when we can rest and forget about the responsibilities and go to bed whenever we like because we know we don't have to set the alarm in the morning. And then there's the Christmas parties, a chance to let your hair down, have a glass or two of wine. Then there's all the great food, which I'm in preparation for. Bowls of nuts to hand, celebrations coming out of your ears, turkey, puddings, and everything to help us go up that extra belt size. And we can't forget the decorations, can we? I'm not sure why tinsel hanging out makes you feel happy, but it does. And a tree with baubles and more tinsel on, tea lights in a nativity scene, uh, in an ornamental nativity scene on the mantelpiece. See, all these things can create that sense uh, of specialness about Christmas. And we're certainly aware of it, aren't we, in the new year when the decorations come down and everything seems really bare and empty. The question we must ask ourselves then is, why does it appear that despite having all the right ingredients to have ourselves our very own Merry Christmas, that time and time again, Christmas becomes a source of arguments and conflict. If everything is right, then why is our experience one of broken joyful bliss and instead of unbroken joyful bliss throughout this Christmas period? See, one could argue that despite all this stuff which is going on at Christmas, there can be the setting of conflict particularly family conflict, arises most frequently. Peace is certainly a message of Christmas, but the reality can be quite different. Despite our best concerted efforts to create a climate of goodwill and peace to all men, perhaps it's something to do with the fact that we try and create for ourselves our own peace. See, we create the physical environment in which we can think uh, and be, uh, think about joyful and peacefulness. We create the conditions and the situations. We even say and sing about the very peace that we hope for for ourselves and others. And yet, at the end of the day, despite having the best ingredients, conflict raises its ugly head. This not only happens with personal family relationships, but also on a global scale too. See, many man-made peace agreements between nations 
are fragile at best, ignored at worst. We construct physical and political conditions to try and bring about peace in a world where conflict is commonplace, with more just around the corner. What we end up with is uncertainty and volatility. There is never a true guarantee of peace and a lasting solution, just as much as doing Christmas guarantees a peaceful holiday. Maybe we're looking in the wrong place and to the wrong things to bring about meaningful peace. If there is any sort of Christmas message that is internationally understood, the one that you're most likely to hear is the one of peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Hardly anyone would disagree with that sentiment, regardless of religion or race. Most people want the same thing. We pretty much all want world peace, peace for everyone, a cessation of hostilities. That's why we see this message spread across Christmas cards everywhere, whether they're explicitly Christian or not. And as Christians, we would certainly want this too, wouldn't we? For that's what God wants. This is why Jesus came, isn't it? That we live in peace with one another, whether it's your family uh, or whether it's your friends, your neighbours, work colleagues, or even nation with nation. Well, if I tell you, Jesus himself is described in Isaiah 9 as the Prince of Peace. Well, you could easily imagine him to be the one who'd be at the front of the front line at any and every peace rally. And that he would be holding the largest placard with the slogan, Peace on Earth and Goodwill to All Men on it. He's simply not an advocate of peace. He is the Prince of Peace. No one can outdo him when it comes to peace. If anyone denounces conflict, he denounces it more. Yet is this Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible? This Jesus, this lover of peace, would not appear out of place standing next to David Bowie and Bing Crosby at the piano in that lovely old home with, with a wreath on the door singing Little Drummer Boy. And yet we need to take a moment just to look at Luke chapter 2, verse 14, from where the message of peace on earth and goodwill to all men comes from. In Luke 2.14, following the birth of Jesus, the angels declare, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. Immediately we can see that there is more to the message that appears on every other Christmas card. This message is not actually about peace for all, but a particular peace for a particular people, the ones on whom God's favour rests. That means there are people who do not receive the peace that comes from God. But hang on. Does this mean God also falls short when he himself tries to go about constructing a peace of his own? if it doesn't achieve a much sought-after universal peace that we all long for? Well, that depends. This Christmas message declared by the angels on the hillside outside of Bethlehem to the shepherds 
is now not quite as warm and cosy and inclusive as the peace that Bing and Bowie and all the other Christmas paraphernalia makes me feel. Lying in a manger, not far from the shepherds, was a baby who is to be known as the Prince of Peace. Yet, in this little person, lying in the manger is actually the paradox of peace. A small, pink, fleshy contradiction. Both the Prince of Peace and a causer of conflict. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 10. I'll give you a moment to look at that. We're looking at verses 34 to 37. Jesus, our Prince of Peace, is recorded as saying, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Jesus is a peace bringer, praise God, and also a bringer of conflict. He is at the same time the solution and the source of conflict. How can this be? Let's take a little closer look at the Matthew passage. We read that instead of peace, he has brought a sword. Now, this isn't literal sword, of course, but should nevertheless be regarded as a weapon of war, sharp and lethal. As a sword can sever off limbs, this sword is equally effective at separating. This sword does more than separate, though. It sets people against one another. So effectual and so powerful is this weapon that it even promises to pit relationships against one another that are united by blood. The sword in Matthew turns one against the other and that even within the household there will be enemies. People have often said that religion is the main cause of wars and conflicts, that religion is a bad thing because of that. However, it is this sword that truly divides and brings conflict. Okay, men have been guilty of doing evil things in the name of religion, using real swords. However, evil has always been wrong and is always condemned by God. This sword that Jesus brings is the word of truth. Who he is and the words that he speaks brings division even to the closest bonds that mankind can ever know, that of family. These tightest bonds between mother and daughter, son and father, can be severed. See, the truth of God's revealed word can even break these bonds. That is the truth, because the truth presents a reality, presents a God who is greater and more worthy of your loyalty than even your parents. Note how verse 5 shows the younger generation being set against their parents, those whom they should honour 
and obey just as the fifth commandment uh, tells us to. Yet here is Jesus turning them away from them. If push comes to shove and parents object to their child's faith in Christ Jesus, then conflict should arise as the child demonstrates loyalty to Jesus rather than to them. See, Jesus brings division because he forces us to choose sides. Division between those who accept him as Lord and those who reject or deny this truth. The potential for conflict and division has always been around, ever since the fall. You know, when sin came forth out of the heart of man as he stood in opposition to God, truth causes conflict because that rebelliousness towards God, our Creator, is still there. The sword doesn't create new conflict. It exposes conflict that already lurks inside of ourselves. So therefore, it's foolishness to believe the lie that we'd be better off without God, that God only causes problems, and that religion is a topic best undiscussed because it causes too many arguments. Christmas is better off, surely, by focusing on Father Christmas than Jesus. He's less controversial and far more friendlier. And if we need to hear of Jesus, then we'll wheel in David Bowie and Bing Crosby, and we can hear them sing about Jesus to us. Because that kind of Jesus is not likely to cause too many problems. However, the problem with our self-constructed attempts at peace, particularly at Christmas, with our empty platitudes, is that when you strip it all back, we will see that we are attempting to create a peace amongst people who themselves have a heart of conflict. That is why at Christmas, even though the conditions are perfect for peace, we experience conflict Can you therefore have true peace without God? The answer is yes, of course you can. You can have peace without God, just as long as everyone else in the world goes along with what you want and to the exclusion of everybody else's peace. Otherwise, the answer is emphatically no. We cannot have true peace without God. We can have no true peace because of the problem of our separation from God, which also makes us incapable to achieve peace amongst ourselves by our own efforts. There will continue to be arguments over Christmas dinners. Christmas parties will continue to have upset. We will continue with frustrations and annoyances because we have swapped a relationship with the true God with a life in which we expect people to be at peace with us. Honour our demands. Do as we ask them to do. For that is where our peace lies, when people conform to my image and my will. And so two battlegrounds of conflict exist in everyone's life. The one between ourselves and the Creator. And the others between every human being. A vertical conflict and a horizontal conflict. And with any conflict, 
there can only be ever one of two outcomes. There's either a winner and a loser, or the conflict remains unresolved, even if it appears to have passed. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ speaks loud and clear to to a world that there is only going to be one outcome. There has been a final victory. And so if we are hoping that this conflict with God can remain unresolved, then we're very much mistaken. If your life is going well and things are good, don't be fooled into thinking that there is no conflict with God. There is no sweeping him under the carpet. Just because the guns have stopped firing is no reason for you to think that peace has been declared. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He brings a peace that provides a solution for that vertical conflict. He has rescued um, believers from judgment through his own death on the cross, bringing about that reconciliation of sinners to God by faith to those on whom his favor rests. It is through the resolution of this first conflict that we can have any hope of a true peace amongst us. Well, we've already considered what is necessary for us to have true peace without God, that peace can be achieved if everyone conforms to our own image and will. But having been brought back into a relationship with the creator of this world, we begin to learn that the world shouldn't conform to our own image, but to God's instead. That we may be conformed no longer to the pattern of this self-centered world, but instead to the image of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who out of his love gave himself for us. We know from 1 Corinthians 13 what this love is like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I don't think it's too hard for us to think of situations that arise out of what we have made Christmas to be that causes the opposite effect of some of these expressions of love. Do we have opportunity to envy at Christmas time? I know that I do. Do we have plenty of things to boast about? Yes, of course we do. When we get to see more family and friends than we usually do, are we put into situations that exposes our need to insist on our own way? There are plenty of things to be irritable and resentful about. It's no wonder that Christmas is a melting pot for conflict for those who are not being conformed to the image of Christ who is loved. So is true peace achievable amongst us? See, there is a reality to lasting peace on earth. However, the solution for peace is also the source of conflict. 
that means we don't solely look to the uncontroversial bits, the bits of truth that we can all agree on. It means that we mustn't shy away from the whole truth. It doesn't mean that we, get, uh, that we share bits of truth that are palatable to others and forget the rest. See, that kind of sword is as useful as a bad as a useful as a, an inflatable dartboard. If we're serious about peace, then we must face up to the, pen, uh, the potential, no, the inevitable, the inevitable conflict as we present to our neighbours, friends, strangers, Jesus, our paradox of peace. Jesus brought a sword with him, and that sword is with us, as sharp and as dangerous as ever. And he has given all believers the command the command to wield it in the conflict between man and God. Not in our own strength, but by the Spirit. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, we're told. The truth contained within this Bible book. And through Him, true followers of Christ are to pick it up and use it. The first battleground of conflict was Christ's priority. He did not come to earth to bring peace for our own sakes. We have read together that he came to set us against one another. He didn't come to speak about morality and to bring about a model of peaceful living so that we may imitate him whilst at the same time ignoring the conflict between us and God. No, the resolution of the vertical conflict was the reason why he came. Born to die, so that we may know peace and reconciliation, firstly with God, and then to rewire and reprogram our hearts and minds to flip us inside out so that we no longer insist on peace on our own terms, but on the blood of Jesus, our rock of peace. See, truly, peace without God is no peace at all. Christ's priority should be our priority. And so the priority for believers is to pick up and use the sword of truth. This piece we've considered so far changes the contemporary Christmas message, doesn't it? Peace on earth and goodwill to all men. The fact that Jesus is the embodiment of that paradox of peace, that he is both the source and the solution of conflict. And that all who follow him are called to be the same. Brings us to some decisions that every one of us needs to face. Are we willing to proclaim truth over the interests of establishing horizontal peace? Just as Jesus prioritized. Or are we more concerned about friendships, making them, keeping them, even family relationships, than we are concerned Uh, we are about concerning ourselves with the truth. This sounds really radical and not something that our popular Christmas time Jesus would ask of us. But it is the reality. It is radical. Jesus isn't a meek and mild baby in a manger, but he wields a sword and we must challenge one another to remember this. So we are to pick up his sword, as the Prince of Peace did. But we are also to wield it in the same way that he did. 
done in such a way that when conflict arises, as Jesus said it would, that the blame or the source for the conflict isn't because of the way in which the truth was spoken, but instead the conflict can be attributed to the content of the message. It should always be the sword that does the dividing and not the messenger. What this doesn't mean is that we compromise on truth for the sake of keeping peace. Proverbs, in Proverbs 16, it says and teaches us, when a, man's ways, uh, when a man's ways pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Our actions, if consistent with God's will, will not divide. In fact, this proverb uh, says that it will do the opposite. It will actually bring about peace. And that's not really surprising, is it, really? You know, who wouldn't want to be friends with someone who behaves like Jesus? See, the problem, or the problem occurs when a believer opens his mouth. And this can be a real sticking point for every, any believer. There is a fear that if Jesus is mentioned, then people will be put off, even antagonistic. And this fear is not unfounded. If there's one thing that we've learned this morning is that God truth brings division. The question for many of us is that, is this a price that we're willing to pay for the pursuit of peace? Pursuit of true peace. How often do we hear ourselves saying or thinking, oh, do what you want, anything for a bit of peace and quiet. So the battle for those who trust in Jesus is over whose peace am I concerned with most? Is it my peace or the peace that comes from God? See, peace with God is real, lasting, effectual peace, rather than our peace, which is false, temporary and ultimately ineffective and if you choose the peace that comes from god then all christians are to accept whatever jesus uh, that wherever jesus is there will also be conflict even the baby jesus caused conflict herod opposed and murdered to try and suppress the unwelcome truth spoken about this baby that a new king a challenger to his authority had been born How are we to deal with conflict then this Christmas? The peace that is to be desired most is the peace that comes from God through Jesus. And from that should our actions come that please the Lord. Actions that echo the unselfish love of Christ because we have first received God's unmerited saving love. Do not be yourself the source of conflict. Do not perpetuate conflict if things are done or spoken against you this Christmas. Instead, let your actions be the source of peace. Remember, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. So, for example, when faced with ingratitude, because it will happen, remember you have given a gift not for gain, but out of love. So don't insist that others should be grateful. Also, do not insist on your own way. Look to please others and not for others to please you. Be patient and treat others with gentleness and respect. Make your ways please the Lord. But perhaps this Christmas you have to deal with the conflict in the way that God deals with conflict 
That is to speak of the lasting peace, eternal peace first. We are not to keep silent or compromise on the truth for the sake of temporary peace. Christmas time is a time to remember, to remember the true lasting peace and perhaps the opportunity will arise to speak about it. Jesus teaches, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers are those who bring the treaty from God to unbelievers. A treaty of peace between the sovereign Lord of God and sinners. A a resolution to the vertical conflict that can eventually bring peace amongst men. Let us not be ashamed or shy away from this truth this Christmas. Let us not be guilty of presenting uh, the peace of Christmas as anything other than the peace wrought for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are to be sword-wielders, truth-proclaimers, peacemakers as ambassadors of Christ who divides, separates, even at Christmas, presenting a Christ that causes kings to murder. Conflict is part and parcel of the life of every believer, not through what we do necessarily, but the message that we are commanded to proclaim. This Christmas time, be a channel of God's peace and prepare for battle. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests.